Hello, everyone. My name is Julia Ferrioli. My pronouns are she, her. Today is October 26th, 2023. But really, it's like still 2020, right? Um, <laughs> today, I'm speaking with Shauna Gordon McKeon. I'm recording this conversation for Open Source Stories, and it's a lovely, crisp day in Seattle today. I heard a rumor that we might be getting snow soon, so I've got my fingers crossed. Uh, Shauna, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, I'm Shauna Gordon-McKeon. Uh, I am coming at you from Washington, D.C., where it is 70 degrees and hard to imagine it will snow anytime soon. Uh, last year, it did not snow at all the entire winter, which was kind of a bummer. So I am hoping for some snow this year. I, I spent some time in D.C. myself, and um, snow was one of my favorite parts. So I'm Yeah, I mean, there's, there have, there's been snow in the past. Yeah. Uh, D.C. is more famous for its, like, swelteringly humid and hot summers, but it does usually get snow. It's just last year there was no snow. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully we will get some this time around. Uh, well, I'll cross my fingers for both of us then. Excellent. Before we dive in... Uh, what has gotten you excited lately? This can be something in our in, in industry. This can be, you know, the the trees turning, whatever you like. Uh, so I was recently on a different podcast and I talked about women's soccer. So now I feel like it's going to become my shtick is that whenever people ask me for my non non open source, non tech thing, it's always going to be women's soccer. But I am really excited uh, I signed up for a soccer clinic with Ashley Hatch, who is one of the star forwards of my local team. She uh, is a U.S. Women's National Team bubble player, so like not a, a star. Sorry if Ashley Hatch is ever listening to this. I don't know why she would. Uh, you're a star in my heart. Uh, but she was like, she was not on the World Cup team, but she was almost on the World Cup team. Anyway, she's doing like a charity clinic for our local players. Uh, so I signed up and so supports like local youth soccer uh, and then I get to learn a little bit about soccer from uh, elite soccer players. So that's pretty cool. Pretty psyched about that. That's amazing. It sounds like it's going to be an awesome time. Yeah. It's one of the, um, like, generally speaking, the lack of support and investment in women's sports is a total bummer. But every once in a while, you get a benefit like this where you just, there's like a level of access and experience that you can get because, like, you don't have just huge numbers of, like these players deserve huge numbers of fans clamoring for these opportunities but unfortunately they don't get them for the most part which is better for me as a fan because i you know i get to do these like clinics and stuff so um so yeah uh it'll it'll be really fun uh i will learn a ton i'm sure because i am not a particularly good soccer player so i imagine ashley hatch will have a lot to teach me i I wish you luck. My the last <laughs> time I played soccer, uh, I got kicked in the stomach, and so oh, I no. never went back to the the field. Yeah, I mean that's that's unpleasant. I could see why you wouldn't come back. It's kind of my brand is is getting hit by <laughs> sports balls, even when I'm not playing with them or playing them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well. On a completely different note, um, I know you from the kind of overall open source governance world. 
Um, and I'm kind of wondering, like, what are your thoughts around governance these days? How are you thinking about governance in open source? Yeah. Um, so I have been interested in open source governance for about five or six years now. Uh, how I started getting interested in governance was in 2017, there was an open source project that had a BDFL, which is Benevolent Dictator for Life model of governance. And uh, this person had unfortunately passed away and they were kind of like, what do we do now? Like how decisions got made, how conflict got resolved was like, it was all on this one person and they're not in charge anymore. And, like, should we just replace this person with another BDFL? Should we do something more democratic? We kind of want to do something more democratic, but like how or what? Uh, and um, they wanted an outside facilitator to come help with that. So I hadn't really done anything like that before, but I mean, I think it's still generally true that there's not a lot of people with a ton of expertise in open source governance, but there, that was especially true in 2017. Uh, so I got asked to help and I was like, I, I, I am new to this. I am not an expert, but I will certainly love to try. Um, and that really, that was such a huge learning experience for me uh, and also really um, clarified for me that the success and long-term sustainability of projects uh, really depends a lot on the community around the project. And that in turn is so influenced by how decisions get made, how conflict gets resolved, um, all of these like governance questions. Um, so to me, governance is not something that's like completely separate from the work of uh, like software development. Um, often like the questions around who makes decisions, those decisions are like, you know, what should the API look like? What should the, like the architecture look like? What, like what things should we support? They're like technical decisions. Uh, that have real world consequences and thus people get into conflict over them. So how do you decide uh, who is going to work on what, what is going to be prioritized? All of these questions to me um, fall under the rubric of governance. I've actually been trying to come up with a term that's a bit more expansive because I think governance is, on the one hand, I really want to rehabilitate the term governance. I think people hear the word governance and they think about like, partisan gridlock in Congress or, you know, they're like, I don't know, like a local school board thing, which is like extremely tedious. Um, so like, they're just like people associated with bureaucracy and badness and they're like, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with it. So I do want to like rehabilitate the term governance and like make it something that people are actively thinking about. Um, but I'm also like, I also tend to think more expansively than just like, who is in charge? How do they make decisions? And into more questions around um, how does information flow? What are the power dynamics? Uh, how does how does how do people influence software and software influence people and all of that messy stuff? And I haven't got a good term for it. So if you or any anyone listening to this has some ideas for terms, uh, I feel like you'd be nice to be able to talk about it a bit more articulately. We need some like a branding expert <laughs> yes. to really get a hold of that particular um, group of concepts. Yes. So how, how, um, how decisions get made? It's a very like small part of 
of actually building software and building communities. It's how people work together, right? Which has has this so much wrapped up in in it from communication mechanisms to norms to uh you know uh, just well pretty much everything culture etc so yeah there's so much wrapped up there yeah i also think um you know formal decision like when we say decision making i think people tend to think it's always easier to think about the most formal version of something because that's like when you formalize something, you're making it concrete and legible and visible to people. So for example, um, the question of, I, I tend to use Python as an example because I'm deeply embedded in the Python community and I just I just love it. So for example, when speaking about governance, people might think about, okay, um, there used to be a BDFL, now there's a steering council. They make decisions. Those people get elected by a vote and like that's all like very formalized. It's written out in, um, in PEPs. And it's like very clear and visible, but there's all sorts of other decisions that are happening all the time as well. And sometimes they become part of formal processes if they get important or they get heated, they like can come into this formal space. But like, if someone is interested in maybe contributing to Python the language and they look at it and they see a bunch of men for instance, although there are definitely more women than there used to be, and like Python is actually like doing a lot to try and diversify. But like like many open source projects, like many tech projects, there is a gender imbalance. If you look at that and you feel like just subtly inside of yourself a feeling of unwelcomeness and you decide not to spend your time learning more about it, you just you just turned aside gently, like that's really subtle. It's really informal. It's only visible to that person. And it might not even be visible to that person because we as individuals make decisions all the time that aren't fully conscious. And it might just be like a vibe where we're like, that's not the vibe I want based purely on just knowledge of like gender dynamics. Mm -hmm. um, that's still a decision that's affecting the community. And it could even affect the technical elements because what if that one person was gonna end up being like extremely influential and like a core contributor who does, maybe they become a release manager. Like, you know, you never know what that alternate universe is. So I think I care about those like subtle, informal, quiet, easy to miss decisions too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe I pay even a little bit more attention to them because they're so easy to miss because they're not made visible in the same way that the super formal decisions are. Yeah, we we do tend to think about things from the technical perspective, like how do the technical decisions get made? But how are that there are so many other decisions that that get made explicitly or implicitly throughout the project's life cycle? Um, yeah, and they influence each other. And this is mm -hmm. so I do a lot of work um, as uh, like an open source community manager slash project manager slash developer advocate. So I'm often like in those spaces where community issues overlap with technical issues. Um, so something that I have done on multiple occasions is identified a technical question that needs to be asked and then attempted to gather the right people in the room, uh, which is can be an extremely challenging social task because it involves like identifying who is impacted by a given change, making a connection with them, convincing them that's worth their time to like come to this meeting, figure out whether a meeting even makes sense versus like a, a more asynchronous process. Um, 
but those decisions that you make around who you're going to try to reach out to, how you're going to try to reach out to them, how you're going to facilitate this conversation, um, all of those influence what the technical decision is. And I think this is an ongoing problem in open source specifically where open source is generally decently welcoming of user feedback when the users are themselves developers and fluent with developer tools. Um, like I would much rather try to give feedback to an open source project that's got like a GitLab or a GitHub issue tracker than to say Google, which like I feel like has never taken user feedback in its entire life. That's probably not true. It's very big. I'm sure someone somewhere has successfully given user feedback. But that being said, you know, a lot of people who use open source are not themselves developers. They're not comfortable going to an issue tracker. Uh, and consequently, like often there's just a huge amount of stakeholders who are unable to contribute to the roadmap of the project, even though, you know, their users, theoretically, the project is being built for them. Um, and this is like for a combination of reasons, often open source projects are under-resourced. So like people, like the maintainers of these projects might very well want to do that, but just don't have the capacity for it. There's also not a lot of best practices or methods for reaching out to users and making those connections. Um, but yeah, I think that to the extent that you, we can think about software projects as a community of people that information is flowing between, um, I think that's a much richer way to think about it. And it allows us to understand why certain technical decisions get made. Because the answer might be because of the people in the room who would have influenced influence the project to make a different decision never were there um, because of these structural forces. Right. Like, and, and to go back to your example of um, submitting feedback, if you have to go and register an account somewhere just to provide, oh, this, this alignment was off piece of feedback or what have you, that's probably going to dissuade you from from um, from actually submitting that feedback, and the project maintainers are missing out. The project's missing out, and then the users are missing out. Yeah, totally. Um, so I think even for people who are very comfortable, I have on numerous occasions had the experience of finding a problem with an open source project uh, and thinking to myself, well, I know how to give feedback. I should go to the issue tracker. I should search the issue tracker for, and to see if this is a, an issue someone else has already reported, um, which, so that's already at least a minute right there. It might be 10 or 15 or 20 minutes if it's something that's got a lot of issues. And so you have to review a lot of different issues to see if yours is a duplicate. Um, and then once I do it, I should include all this information like, uh, what is the expected behavior? What was the actual behavior? Copy and paste any error message, making sure to remove any like confidential information, which is not usually an issue, but you know, I always check just in case. Um, put the version number of the project, make sure to say what operating system I'm on and the versions of those things. Uh, if it's a web-related thing, probably also get the browser and the browser version. I'm like, I know what to do to make the perfect bug report. And I'm often like, this is gonna take 15 to 20 minutes of my time. It is not worth it. And so there's like a number of issues. Um, for instance, I use Mastodon and I use the Elk client interface. And there's a number of issues 
where I'm just like, this annoys me, but it doesn't annoy me enough to spend 15 to 20 minutes reporting the bug. And you can make an argument. I think there's an interesting argument to be made about like, there is value in like the fact that I would rather not spend 15 minutes doing on it, like reporting this issue is a sign that this issue is low priority for me. Because if it was high priority for me, I'd probably spend the 15 minutes filling out the bug report. And that's useful information, but it would be better if I could still give the feedback and just be like, this is super low priority. But if you think you're going to work on it, like I can like try to reproduce the issue or something. Um, but instead, I just don't report at all. And this is, again, this is someone who's like a lot of experience and comfort with reporting bugs via issue trackers. Uh, and I still don't do it a lot of the time just because I'm like, this is too much. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, um, and then like for someone who's less comfortable, uh, like because different people have different levels of comfort, the barriers that lead to feedback being left or not are, are gonna be at a different level. Um, so I am, I am more likely to get over the hump sooner because I have that comfort level but for someone who's like, I am actively afraid of this process because what if they yell at me? I've never done it before. How does GitHub work? Like that's going to be a much, much higher barrier where probably they'll only get to that point if they're like, okay, it's either this or I stop using the product entirely. Or maybe even at that point, they'll be like, I'm just going to find a product that suits my needs because it's just too much of a hurdle overall. We, we do talk a lot about reducing maintainer burden. Um, and that's where a lot of these best practices for reporting reporting issues come from but you have like pinpointed that the trade-off is user burden and to the to sometimes the detriment of the project and the the part that always gets me there is that the project is never going to know that you decided not to submit the issue. Yeah, it's all these secret, it's a secret decision that's not visible to anyone else. Right, so when we're talking, when we're talking about uh, these kind of social systems, the interactions, the, the, the part of, of um, open source and open source governance that's not visible or well-defined, that absolutely factors in to how we think about the the overall operations of an open source project. Yeah, and I think you know I think you're really right to call out the sort of tension between um, between asking too much of the user versus asking too much of the maintainer because like. There is work that needs to be done to communicate something that's fairly complex. Like bugs are, there's like bugs as someone who has tried to tried and failed and sometimes succeeded to fix a lot of bugs in my life. They are often like these deep wells of complexity. And, and so the process of, you know, submitting a bug report, um, you know, it's, someone's got to, like the maintainer is already going to do a lot of complex things in order to fix it. So it makes sense to be like, well, let's get all the information that only the user can give and do that. Um, 
but like it's it's labor that needs to be done anyway. It's information that needs to be gotten. And so whose like responsibility is it to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a theory. I have no idea if it's correct, but I think it's possible that through um through experimenting with what user support looks like in open source projects, there is potentially a way to bridge that gap in a way that doesn't increase the burden on maintainers, but also gives users the support that they need to um, to file bug requests and to otherwise like understand about the project, like potentially eventually get involved. Um, you could you can imagine like someone has such a good experience reporting a bug and creates a relationship with someone in the project that it, that it actually brings them into the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what the best practices are there because I think it's there are projects that are doing interesting things with user support, but it's one of those areas that's been so under under resourced, under studied, under appreciated in open source projects. But you can imagine like in some ideal world someone wants to report a bug they have some sort of like easy pop-up form to do it um and someone who is not a maintainer someone who's a user support expert um who contributes to the project by lending their expertise as a user support expert like reaches out to them like talks them like gently through the process like if they if it seems useful that they get the version number of like the operating system they can be like hey so it'd be really helpful to know what version up the operating system you have like and most people do know in fact know what operating system they have they know whether they have like mac windows or linux um but they often will not know how to find out what the version number is but a user support expert could sort of like walk them through that uh and generally like be like be appreciative instead of being like here do all of this they could be like great thank you so much for that information like i appreciate you taking the time to do this and give them that positive feedback because if someone is making the effort it's good to like have that effort acknowledged and appreciated um so i would love to see more appreciation for um user support people and i suspect that if open source projects had more explicit user support then we would find over time, we would learn things about that process that would enable us to do it better. Um, Whether that's understanding what kind of information is more likely to be needed from different bugs or figuring out what kind of initial contact is best for users, whether that's like a form or maybe you start on social media of some kind. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for growth there. Um, And I think that's part and parcel of the general issue in open source where there's a lot of different things that people need and maintainers are asked to do all of it. Um, Like often the user support person is just the maintainer and the maintainer is like, I am so busy and overwhelmed and burnt out. Uh, But that's also true of like, like we ask maintainers, if there's only one maintainer and there's no other leaders in the community, that person is not just doing the coding or the architecture to the DevOps person, they are the, the documentation writer, they are the project manager, they are the publicity person, they are the user support person. If they're trying to get funding, they're like the grant writer or like the marketing crowdfunding expert. Like we just ask maintainers to do everything because often they're the only one and there's a lot of different things to do. 
But because we think of open source software as just code, it doesn't, it's not visible that there's just like a huge amount of like different skill sets crossing a wide variety of domains that like no one person is going to be familiar with or good at. Um, so we miss all of that. And I think a lot of people don't contribute to open source because they only think of contribution as coding, but like maintainers desperately need user support help. They need grant writing help. They need like publicity help. Uh, it's just like, we just collectively don't pay attention to it. And then maintainers struggle alone under the burden of having to do it all. That was a little bit of a rant. I appreciate the rant. Um, it It is so, it is so true that the, the role of maintainer, while we think of it initially as the technical lead, it's it's the you must do everything sort of role. And that is unrealistic. Like you cannot be the 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 Swiss army knife of your project for all time. So and and having a user support uh role uh within a project makes perfect sense to me Be and also brings more people into contributing to open source in a variety of different ways. So, yeah. Well, I, I know that we are technically over time, so I want to, to give us a kind of final, final prompt here, um, which is what, what do you hope to see in open source, uh, in this in this undefined term of all of the open source dynamics that we have in the next five, 10 years? This is a great question. Well, I think at a fundamental level, this is a collective action problem. I think, um, like, I think it would be great to have user support people and marketing people and documentation people and governance people and like all of these skill sets in open source projects. Um, but then there's a question of like, how do you sustain these projects financially? How do people contribute? Like, um, so to me, I think I do think it to some extent it does come back to governance because often you have, I mean, there are funders in the space, whether it's these big businesses or whether it's private foundations, grassroots people, like there are resources that can go to these projects. Um, but I think part of what holds back that flow of resources at times is a lack of accountability because many of these projects are run by a single person and those people might be of impeccable character but like if you want to make a significant investment which might for a big foundation might be a lot of money but for an individual person you know fifty dollars might be a lot of money to them like i think in some cases people are willing to just be like i like this tool here's some money but if you want to be a, a person who's like if you want to be like i'm going to like donate like ten dollars a month or like some ongoing thing Maybe you do want visibility into what your money is being used for. Like, and similarly, if you want to like volunteer your time, knowing that there is accountability and you have a stake and you're able to actually participate in the overall direction of the project, uh, I think can lead to a virtuous cycle 
where you're willing to invest time or money or whatever it is you're trying to invest because you have the sense of there's uh, the project, I'm a participant in the project, it is accountable to me, not in like a, they must answer all of my demands, but in a sense of like, if I have questions, I can get them answered. If I want things to happen in a certain way, it might not happen in that way, but I can at least, I at least have a forum to express my desire. And the, those that, that request will be treated, like will actually be considered. Right. Like it won't just be brushed aside. Um, like I think you can create those virtuous cycles, but I think in order to create the virtuous cycles, we need to be thinking about what governance mechanisms can lead to that kind of accountability and that kind of stakeholder participation. I don't think it needs to be super bureaucratic or super complicated. I think there is a lot of like relatively uh, relatively small changes um, in terms of um, you know not needing to figure out all the details, but just be like, okay, we're gonna have we're still gonna have a maintainer who makes all the decisions, but now we'll have an advisory board of people. And then like if after a year of having this advisory board, everyone's like, this is going great, we'll invest them with actual power. And like, so like that's like just one approach. But I think thinking about these things and starting to create that accountability um, would hopefully, I mean, who knows, I can't predict the future, but would hopefully lead to more people being willing to invest their resources, their time. Um, and then I think that would have so many greater knock-on effects in open source if you have these systems for people committing resources, um, less burnout, an ability to tackle all of these like, you know, like there's so many elements of open source that open source does badly. And <laughs> like, I love open source, but like we're not, we're not known for our like user experience design. We're like not known for like, as you're saying, user support. Like there's all these areas that get under-resourced. And so I think if we can level up our governance, hopefully that would encourage more people to contribute, which would then enable us to level up all of these other areas. No, I, I, I love it. And I, I think that everything you're saying really drives or it goes back to the, the ethos behind open source, one of which is like transparency. Um, and in my head, accountability is very much tied to transparency. So understanding like, okay, well, what, what goes into the project? What's coming out of it? Where do I see benefit? Like makes perfect sense. So yeah. I hope, I hope for, I hope that your vision comes true. Me too. Me too. <laughs> well, Thank you so much, Jana, for, for joining us today on Open Source Stories, and I, I hope we get to do this again. Yeah, me too.